If you would please take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 12. We'll be continuing on in our, our series, Old Songs for a New Year. And today we'll be looking at Psalm 12. The text can also be found on pages 5 and 6 in the bulletin. <clears throat> psalm 12. To the choir master, according to the Sheminith, a psalm of David. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. You may be seated. And as you do, let us together go to the Lord. Father God, we thank you for your word. Pure words. As David even says, purified seven times in the furnace. God, your word is one that we can stand on, that we can hold fast to in the midst of a world gone mad, in the midst of a world consumed with lies and deception. So God, may we hear your true words this morning. May we hold fast to them. May we firmly stand upon them. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Back in 2010, there was a popular and successful film that came out entitled Inception. It featured many well-known as well as many rising stars, as well as the director of the, at the time, very famous and popular Batman trilogy. I'm not going to try too hard to explain the premise of the film, because if I did, you would all be confused. Actually, just a couple weeks ago, I was in a Zoom call with a pastor friend of mine, and we were talking about illustrations, and he talked about Inception, and I told him, never use Inception, so I'm breaking my own counsel to another pastor. Um, <laughs> The film is famous literally for its mind-bending plot as well as its stars and its special effects. Because at its simplest, the movie is about thieves who steal valuable information by invading people's dreams. If that sounds crazy, it is. You heard that right. They steal secrets via dreams. But there reveals to be a major problem when you play around in dreams and it's that the dream world is this place that is filled with confusion and chaos and uncertainty. And it can be hard for, for the thieves to know whether they have woken up and they're in the real world or if they still are in this dream world of chaos and uncertainty. And actually kind of the, the big fear that, that lurks over the whole film is of getting lost in the dream world. There's little hope, they say, of coming back if you get that lost. Which then begs the question then, okay, well, what's the solution? How can these thieves remain anchored in the real world? How can they know what is true when they're playing with fire in the world of dreams? And the answer is found in what they call a token. A token is a small object that is known only to the individual who carries it. The token has meaning. It's something familiar, something that it is intimately known by the, the, the wearer of the token. So when they touch it, when they feel it, 
It reminds them they're in the real world. It brings them back and anchors them firmly in reality. The token, if you will, is their tether to what is true. It strips away the lies and the deception that is the dream world, and it reminds them of where stability lies. For reasons we're not made aware of in Psalm 12, David, as he writes this psalm, feels a bit like he's in the dream world of inception. His world is confusing, it's disorienting, he's dizzy. He doesn't know which way to look, which way to turn. Everything feels wrong, everything appears wrong. But for David, he's not caught in some sort of a dream world. He's living in the very real world. And it's a world that is filled with lies and deception. It's all David hears as he listens to the voices around him. It meets him at every turn. He feels lost. And so in this psalm, we find that David is desperately crying out for an anchor for his heart, for his soul, for his mind. He's pleading for a place where he can firmly stand and put his feet down and know that it's not built on lies and deception. And so where does David find such an anchor? What tethers him back? What's his token, if you will? It's the Lord and his word. Far better than any small object that you can keep in your pocket. And so he cries out to the Lord then for help. He pleads with the Lord to save, to deliver him from this false, unstable, and disorienting world that he has found himself in. And why? Why does David turn to the Lord for help? It's because as we see, the main point of this sermon is that the words of the Lord are words of truth in a world of lies and confusion. Because when the Lord speaks, truth is spoken into, is spoken over the lies. And so it's natural then that David would turn to the Lord. It is the only place he can go. It is the only place where he can find stability. So two points this morning as we work through our sermon, they're in the bulletin. First is living among liars, and then second is listening to the Lord. The firstborn is just going to look at this disorienting world that David finds himself in. And we oftentimes find ourselves in a similar world. And then the second point will reveal both the reason for and the fruit of listening to the Lord. So first, we see what it looks like for David to live among liars. In many ways, David's world that he inhabits is the same world that has been ever since the garden. When that first lie was uttered by the lips of the serpent, where he told Eve that you will surely not die, you will be like God. And from that lie, we know that lies upon lies and deceptions have only bred more throughout the ages. But for David, in Psalm 12, he's reached his breaking point. He pleads with the Lord, save, O Lord, deliver me, make it stop. I can't take it anymore. We see the lies that David is grappling with. They're leaving him with no place to turn or no person to go to. Listen to what he says after he pleads with the Lord to save. He says, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Now David is exaggerating just a little bit. In our own despair, we can utter similar things. He's not literally the last righteous person left on the face of the earth. Or even in Israel for that matter. There were, like, there were assuredly others who loved God and faithfully sought to obey him. However, the prevalence of these lies leaves David feeling as though he's abandoned and he's alone. 
He sounds similar to the prophet Elijah later on who would utter similar words as he ministered under the evil reign of Ahab. When he complains to the Lord, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. We see that living among liars, it can be extremely isolating. It leaves us with no place to go, no one to turn to. If we compare it to last week in Psalm chapter 11, David has no trusted counselors anymore. He might even welcome the fear-ridden counselor, that counsel that he was given in Psalm 11, because at least it was honest. And we know that lying is the, David reveals that lying is part of the natural everyday speech amongst friends, amongst neighbors, amongst family members. And because the righteous are absent or silent, David has no hope that these lies are going to stop. Right now, I'll admit that in our home, we, we've reached the, the, the lying stage in, in child development. And for those who, who have kids at this age, you know it well. Or for those who had kids, you remember it well. It's the one where the kids learn that they don't have to tell you the truth. They can conceal little bits of information if they want. And so then, as a, as a parent trying to faithfully disciple and instruct your children, this new wrinkle, it, it, it's not fun. At times it feels like David crying out, would you deliver us from these liars? <laughs> We're pleading with the Lord, where's the righteous? Where's my faithful two-year-old who, who couldn't speak anything but bluntness and truth? So when our girls are screaming, I had it first, I had it first, she did this, she did that, we don't know who to believe in. So we're crying out to the Lord, save us, deliver us. We can feel like David wondering, when will the lies stop? It would be nice, and we pray daily, that the faithful and the godly would reappear in our home. But I doubt that I need to stress too hard for us the reality that we live in a world full of lies and deception. Every day can be an exhausting exercise in trying to discern between the true, what is true and what is false. We can be left crying out like David, begging for someone, anyone, to speak something that is true. Something that we can grab hold of that is stable. We see from David that living amongst liars is exhausting and can absolutely lead us to despair. But we're not done. These lies are also destructive. They do damage. Listen to what David says. Everyone utters lies to his neighbors. His, with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. This word flattery literally means smoothness. David's using a Hebrew idiom to say they're smooth talkers. You know what a smooth talker is. You're probably friends with one, you know one. They're individuals who are very, very persuasive. What they have to say sounds really good, it's really enticing. They appeal to the heart's desire with their smooth words. But their intent is to manipulate. It's to get what they want, ultimately by thinking that you're going to get what you want. I want to be careful here because uh, we have three of them who are ruling elders, but the picture here is your stereotypical lawyer, or at least the ones that all the jokes are made of. They can win over the judges, they can win over the juries with their sweet talk, with their fancy use of language. They can be very convincing, but they have no intent to appeal to what is true. They appeal to the emotions, they appeal to other things, totally blinded and shielding the truth. 
Flattery is what gets them what they want. And then double heart is another idiom. It implies deceitfulness or a double standard. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, puts it very bluntly. These double-hearted, they will smile in your face and cut your throat. This is far worse than flattery. Flattery just wants the individual to get what they want. Double-hearted is seeking to destroy. Their speech is filled with lies and deception and evil. It reveals the condition of their hearts. And then from this heart, it's only natural that would overflow this flattery, this double-hearted speech. And who knows, maybe David is a victim of such speech. Maybe this is why he feels like the righteous have, va- have vanished. Whatever the case, though, it reveals how lying and deceptive speech is destructive. It wounds, it creates havoc, it confuses and it destroys. And again, we know this all too well. Some of you have suffered great harm from flattering lips and double-hearted speech. You've been destroyed by the deceptions and the lies, even by those who were once the most trusted and most loved friends and family. And it hurts. And looking around us, we know that our world is being destroyed by such lies. Young people are being told that your bodies don't matter. Do whatever you want with them, to them. They're told there's no consequences for sexual immorality, whatever that immorality might be. If it feels good, it is good. And then married folk are being told that there's something better waiting for you outside of marriage. Don't look inside, look outside. Go run after that thing. All of us are daily flattered with the idea of life being centered on our happiness, on our enjoyment, on our pleasure. And then the lies are are focused at the church. What we do here is no big deal. This is optional. You don't need to come. There's better things to do on a Sunday morning. I could go on and on just about the lies that we are inundated with daily, moment by moment. We live in a world full of harmful and deceitful lies. Social media is, is essentially thriving because of such lies. Living amongst liars can destroy us. Yet again, David isn't finished. These lies can destroy, these lies can lead us to despair, and these lies, they reek of arrogance and pride. And it is for this reason that David then utters this this drastic covenant-cursing language when he begs the Lord to cut off flattering lips, destroy them, get rid of them, make them go away. David shows that the speech that is swirling around him, it's bringing confusion, it's destroying. It's this picture of rebellion against the Lord. It reveals outright defiance. Listen to what these liars say. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? These liars find strength in their speech. It's their weapon of choice and it's a good weapon. It's a strong one. As long as they can speak, they will win. As long as their tongue works, they will be their own lords and masters. That's literally what they're boasting. Who is Lord over us? There's no one above us. We are our own rule of authority. And as you listen, you can hear where this speech comes from. It sounds very serpent-like. 
It sounds very Isaiah 14. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will make myself like the most high. We see that David is struggling to endure, to persevere against these bold-faced, arrogant, lofty pride and the lies at which it speaks. He knows the Lord opposes the proud, which is why he then pleads with God to shut their mouths. He says, I can't go on like this. Again, it goes without saying, brothers and sisters, we live in a dizzying world of lying, deceitful, arrogant, and vain speech. Not a day goes by where you and I are not lied to by someone. Advertisers lie to get your money. They tell you what they're selling will make your life that much closer to perfect, that much closer to problem-free. Politicians and government officials lie to get your votes, to keep their position and their status. I'm still young, but I've lived through six presidents, three from each party. All of them have lied. Lying is bipartisan. News outlets, they lie to get your attention. Doesn't matter what your source is. Their lies bring an audience and that brings money. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, for all the more younger people, they're all lying to you too. They show you what they think you need to see, what you need to read, what you need to hear. They hold out before your eyes what they think you need to have a happy, successful, pleasurable life. And no, I'm not saying that none of these things can tell the truth at any given moment. But I am saying that truth is not their primary concern, their primary allegiance, or even their primary intent. But worse still, you and I, we lie to ourselves all the time. You either tell yourself how terrible you are, the worst person on the face of the earth, or you tell yourself how wonderful you are, the best person on the face of the earth. You either believe you are the greatest person, or you're a pathetic loser worthy of nothing, even from God. So no wonder we're all confused, we're all disoriented. No wonder we're all exhausted. No wonder when we get a kernel of truth, we take and run from it and run with it for something to give us a break from the lies and the falsehood. We can feel like David. We can cry out as he cry out. We can beg and plead for the Lord to make the lying stop. And in this pleading, it does demonstrate to ourselves and to one another that there is a place, that, no, there is a person to whom we can turn even as we live amongst liars. And that, that brings us then to David's second point in the second half of this psalm, listening to the Lord. We see that the Lord confirms to David that he is the source of truth and stability in a lying and deceitful world. To borrow the language from last week of Psalm 11, if we were to say, if the liars are everywhere, what can the righteous do? They can turn to the foundation of truth. To the one whose every word, as we heard earlier read for us in John 17, is truth. We can stop listening to and feeding off the lies. David does this simply by pleading with the Lord, by begging him to save and deliver. And then he listens. He listens to what the Lord has to say. And what does he hear? What does he learn by turning to the Lord and listening to his words? First, we see that the Lord is going to act on behalf of his people. Look at verse 5. 
Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. As we were reminded so wonderfully last week, the Lord is not oblivious or disinterested in the suffering of his people, even their suffering under lies and deception. He's keenly aware. He knows they're weakened by it. He knows they're afflicted by it. He knows they're desperate for relief from it. And it is precisely because he knows all of this that he's going to act. He's going to come to the defense of those who belong to him. This should remind us or or bring our words back to to the Lord's word to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3-7 when he tells Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering and I have come down to deliver them. And in fact, this word safety in verse 5, I will place him in the safety for which he longs for, that word is the very same word save in verse 1. The Lord's answer to David's cry for deliverance is yes, I will deliver you. I will arise. Arise carries a whole mix of possible emphases. The most, is, the most likely is either of a king rising from his throne, getting ready to act, or it's a judge rising from his seat, ready to render judgment. Whichever one it is, that's a great comfort to David and to all those who are afflicted by lies and deception. I remember as a kid, my brother and I would often pick on my dad while he was sitting on the couch or on his recliner. We would, we would see how long we could make it till my dad would rise. We'd jump on him, wrestle around him, stick our fingers in his ears, do tons of different things just to make him move, begging for him to get up and to do something about it. And it was never immediate, but eventually my dad would rise. He would get up. And as soon as he did, my brother and I would scatter, run for the hills, and eventually it became a, a wrestling match. But we knew the moment my dad rose up, he got out of his seat, something was about to happen. We also learned, in a very serious way, the same lesson. When we were disobeying and doing things that were wrong and dad would rise up, something was about to happen. This is what David has in mind when he he hears the Lord say, I will rise. He's going to bring his people, he's going to take them out of the the disaster and the chaos that they're in and place them into the safety of his own care. It will not be immediate that now we can be tempted to think it's temporal, but it's more a therefore, which reflects more certainty that the Lord will arise. But there's comfort to be found that the Lord will indeed arise, bring his people into safety. He hears our groaning. He will come to our aid. But second, we see that David is also reminded that when the Lord speaks, he speaks truth and only truth. David says, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. It's interesting that right after David hears the Lord speak, he is assured that what he's just heard can be trusted. This is David kind of seeing land in the midst of a raging storm out in the middle of nowhere. It's him catching a glimpse 
of the moon and the stars that were once covered by the clouds of lies and deceptions. He's got his bearing now. He has his stability. And it's the truth of the Lord who speaks. Because remember, at this point, everything David hears, it's coming in one ear and out the other. It's marked by flattery, deception, lies, selfish motives. But when the Lord speaks, David finds that there is something pure. There is something to be trusted. That pure, that word pure means flawless. It means void of deception, void of vanity, void of ulterior motives. And to show just how pure, David likens it to silver. Not any old silver, but silver refined seven times. That seven is completeness. There's nothing left to take out of it. It's pure silver. It's valuable. All the bad stuff, the impurities, they're gone. He's emphasizing to us that the words of the Lord are tried and tested. They're true. They've withstood all forms of heat and pressure. They've never been found lacking or wanting. They're as good as gold. Or silver in this case. And we profess this blessed truth using the words of Psalm 19. We said things like perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. There is nothing else on the face of the earth that can take all of those adjectives upon itself and bear the weight of all those adjectives upon itself except for the word of God. And this then begs the question for us, where are you and I going to hear true words? As we're desperately longing for the stability of truth, what are we listening to? I'll be the first to admit I most often am listening to those who will tell me simply what I want to hear or those who are more aligned with my personal interests. I turn to those sources of truth that I trust the most in my human flesh. And while certainly they can provide me with morsels or snippets of truth, they will only leave me pining for more. Brothers and sisters, we must let the pure, flawless true and reliable words of the Lord be where you and I always turn when we need to hear what's true. We need to run to him before we run to all those other voices, and they are many. We need to sit under his feet and not under the feet of all the pundits who simply love flattering themselves and their listeners with vain words. We need to learn to declare with another psalmist in Psalm 119 that some of your word is truth. And then with Paul to commit to let the word of Christ, that flawless, pure word, dwell in us richly. Because in the word we find the truth. Dwell on it. Let it orient your heart, your mind, your soul in this lost and confusing world that seeks to destroy the heart, the mind, and the soul. And then finally, we see that David is confident, though, that the Lord will guard. He says in verse 7, You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. Verse 8, it's kind of weird that that David would end this psalm with verse 8. You read it and you think, why wouldn't he end with verse 7? Verse 7 makes us feel really good. And then he spins with verse 8. He ends with verse 8 because he's intentional. The liars are not going to go anywhere. 
In some sense, he says it's only going to heighten. There's going to be celebration of lies. There's going to continue to be deception. They will likely remain in their positions of power and authority. They will continue with their evil. But yet, in the midst of verse 8, David is still confident in what he says in verse 7. He's saying, I'm no longer adrift, wondering where can I find stable ground. He says, I'm no longer dizzy. I'm no longer feeling like I'm in the dream world. No, I'm, I'm now anchored in reality. And in the true reality of the word and his Lord, uh, the Lord and his word. We see in verse 7 that David is answering or speaking to the soul, his own soul, about the problems that were presented in verse 1. For in verse 1, maybe David's thinking and believing the biggest lie that he's next. He's the next righteous and faithful one to banish. He's wondering, when am I going to disappear? But now having listened to the words of the Lord, the true and pure words, David is convinced that this is not going to be the case. No, he says the Lord has and he will see to it that the godly are not gone, that the faithful do not vanish. There will be a remnant, faith, uh, safe and secure, no matter how bad the lies, the deception, the evil continues. And we heard very similar words again flow from the mouth of Jesus as he prayed for us in John 17 in the garden. Where he said, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. Same words we see here in verse 7. How could David be confident that God would guard his own? And how can we have that same confidence? Because we have the very same promise off the lips of our Savior, the Word of God incarnate. Jesus Christ is that pure word, that tested and tried word. He is the true and faithful word. And in him we know that all who trust in him and rest in him are kept and guarded forever. We know that all the lies and the deceptions will one day be swept away in his perfect and holy judgment. And so as we sit under, as we get bombarded by, as we try to grapple with living among liars, it can be easy for us to start believing the lies. We can think they are true. We can think that all is hopeless. We can despair. We can even, like David, think that this is the end of God's people as we know it. But the pure and true word of God tells us, promises us, no, that's not the case. He will keep. He will guard. And that is our confidence. It's our confidence that the lies won't win. It's our confidence that the lies are just that. Lies destined to be exposed. So this pure, refined word is our confidence that our faithful, true, and saving God will indeed save us. He already has in Jesus Christ. And he will not let the prowling and the evil destroy his people. Even when it seems like it might. Even when it seems like we can't bear up under the weight of these lies for much longer. So may we faithfully and eagerly then listen to the Lord. To hear him speak these words of truth to our souls. We don't live in a dream world. And again, if you've seen the movie Inception, you will know how comforting this is. But we do, however, live in a world that can be just as confusing and disorienting and disheartening especially given the pervasiveness of lies and deception. Most days it is easy for you and for me to feel this kind of despair that David feels in Psalm 12. 
And for many of us, the past two years haven't made us feel any less deceived or lied to for any number of reasons. It seems like we haven't been given too many moments to catch our breath. It seems like one source of truth contradicts another. One calls the other lies. What was a lie yesterday is a truth today. What was a, a truth yesterday is now a lie today. And so we can be desperately seeking for that, that token. Something to tether us to that which is stable, that which is true. We need that anchor. Brothers and sisters, the word of the Lord is our anchor. No, I'm not advocating for turning out and tuning out everything and anything that is not literally the word of God. We're still called to live in this world, to engage with it, to discern what is true from what is false, to speak to what is true, to con contradict what is false. But we do need to commit to uh, the word of the Lord being our first and primary source of truth. Too often we treat it like a commentary. We only pull it out when we're really stumped. We only pull it out when the questions are just too much for us to bear. Instead of sinking in it, instead of meditating on it, instead of it letting dwell in us richly, overflowing through us and in us, let us soak in it, let us encourage one another with it. We need to let it, not the voices of whoever else guides us and instruct us, to be that which encourages us, that which anchors us. Because the truth of the matter is, the lies and the deceptions are not going anywhere until Christ returns. David makes that clear in verse 8 as he closes this psalm. But as we will sing in just a minute, we do have a firm foundation laid for us in the excellent and pure word of God. The words of the Lord are words of truth in a world of lies and confusion. Let us pray. Father God, we give you thanks. Your words are true. They are pure. Lord God, they are the anchor that our weary and disoriented and at times dizzy souls need to firmly rest in. And I pray that even this morning we would rest in your true word. God, that we would love it, that we would meditate on it. That we would be, let it be our guide. Forgive us for where we've run to other words. Where we have believed the lies, whatever they might be. By your spirit, may you convict us that your word is true. Your promises will hold. That the lies will end. And would you give us strength, we pray, by your spirit. In Christ's name, amen.